While this morning's message, to be perfectly clear, will file it under the work in progress for me. And, and as we get into it, I suspect you'll see why, and, and many of you will join me in the, the, the category of, yes, I want this, but boy, it's going to take some work to, to get there and then to keep it up. And I think that's, I think that's okay, because our whole uh, relationship with Jesus is a journey to become more and more like him. Back in September, which, uh, as I think about it, seems like forever ago, we, we started a bit of a new rhythm here at Trinity where we wanted to, once a quarter or so, uh, take a break from the series we were in and, and focus in on a, a spiritual discipline or a, a spiritual habit or, or rhythm. And we are coming to the Bible for all of these. We're pulling them out of the Bible. And so when we look to the Gospels, when we look to the life of Jesus, we see how he lived and and how these practices uh, affected his life, his ministry, and and how he, he lived as one of us. Now, coming to these spiritual disciplines and, and teaching and, and focusing on these again once a quarter is so that we can have some time to practice uh, before we just add another one to the pile sort of thing. But this comes out of, of our conviction as a church and our core value as a church that, that the Bible is essential for life and Jesus is the center of all that we do. See, the way Jesus lived shows us what it means to be truly human. We, we believe that, that Jesus is the best version of human. He's not only fully God, but just as we celebrated with Advent and Christmas not too long ago, he became fully human, one who who took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as the Gospel of John says. And so since Jesus came to show us how to live, we need to take note of how he lived. We need to look at the the rhythms and habits and, and disciplines that he demonstrates for us as he leads us towards that abundant, flourishing and full life. Now we said this last time as well, but, but these practices, these rhythms, these disciplines, they aren't ends in themselves. We're not saying, listen, if you don't take time in silence and solitude, like we talked about in September, your, your faith is in question. We're not saying, if you don't Sabbath, uh, your allegiance to Jesus is something we're not too sure about anymore. They're not ends in themselves. The goal here is not to just add something to your checklist and say, do this, and get Jesus. Because that's works righteousness. We're not about that. These practices, these rhythms aren't about adding to the checklist. They're about being with Jesus. And so this week and, and this quarter, I want us to consider Sabbath. A question to start. You can throw a hand up in the chat if you want. Is anybody tired? I was on a phone call with a, a friend and a mentor this week, and as we kind of said, hey, how's it been? It had been a while since we chatted, and he goes, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of so much of this. I just need a rest. I need a, need a break, especially from, I got one really fast-waving hand back there. Thomas, need a nap this afternoon, I think. But he was saying, I, I'm just tired. I, I, need a, I need a break from some of these things. Jesus, uh, in the message paraphrase, says this in Matthew chapter 11. Listen, are you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and rightly. 
That's what we're aiming for. That's what Sabbath is aiming for for us. Let me ask you another question. Why did you get out of bed this morning? And I I realize that with Church Online, this question may not yet apply to everyone. So if you're still in bed, why will you get out of bed this morning? Can I suggest that, that the reason we got out of bed is that we wanted something for most of us? There was some sort of driving desire. Maybe it was that first cup of coffee of the day. Maybe it was quiet time. Maybe it was breakfast. Maybe it was the kids that wanted something, and so now you're up as well. With almost every step of our days, we are driven by desire. The, the need for something, the want for something. In his fantastic book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is uh, really helping shape this morning, John Mark Comer notes this. He says, desire is the great motivator. It's the engine of our lives, and its function is to propel us out of bed and into the world. And yet I think we know if we start to consider that quote and consider desires in our own lives, that that desire can get out of control. When our, our lives are solely driven by our own desires, we can be in trouble because desire is one of those things that, that's just never satisfied. Last week, as, as Ron was sharing with us, he pointed us to the book of Ecclesiastes, and so we're going to quote from there this morning as well. Consider 3,000 years ago, Ecclesiastes 1.8, the writer says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing. It, it, you can't meet all your desires by seeing all the things. More recently, a modern poet Mick Jagger sang, I can't get no satisfaction. In the 13th century, philosopher Thomas Aquinas was asked the question, what would satisfy our desires? What, what would it take to feel, to, to feel satisfied? Can you guess what his answer was? Everything. He's saying that in order for all of the desires of our heart to be filled, we would have to experience everything and everyone and and be experienced by everything and everybody. The point is that desire is infinite. The problem is our lives are not. And so when you put these two things together, infinite desire and, and finite lives, you get hurry you get restlessness. What do we do with this? How do we deal with restlessness? I suspect all of us feel it at different levels at different times and seasons in our lives. Comer says this, the Jesus, the Jesus tradition has this to say. It says, human desire is infinite because we were li- made to live with God forever in his world and nothing less will ever satisfy us. So our only hope is to put that desire back in its proper place on God and to put all our other desires in their proper place below God, not to to try and get rid of desire, to detach from desire as as Stoicism or, or Buddhism suggests, but to come to a place where we no longer need this thing or that thing or this person to live a happy, restful life. I know we've used this quote before. Maybe you've heard it said this way. Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourselves, and so our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. More recently, uh, Dallas Dallas Willard wrote this. 
Desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite and eternal and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. And so when we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. Our infinite desires are only exacerbated by a multi-billion dollar advertising business. And with social media, it's, it's estimated that in an average day, you and I see 4,000 ads a day, each of which telling us, if you have this thing, your desires will be met. And it pushes us closer and closer to being out of control. Comer continues and says, tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The result, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, a life of overload, of shopping, of materialism, of careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us more restless. If we read the Gospels, there are a lot of things that Jesus wants to say about this. If we read the Bible, there's a lot of things that Scripture says uh, to this, to answer to this life of restlessness. But at the top of the list is probably the idea, the concept, the discipline of Sabbath. Many of us, when we hear the word Sabbath, we think of a day, we think of maybe one day a week, but it is, it is so much more than that. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally means just to stop. To stop working, to stop wanting, to stop worrying. Just stop. See, Sabbath is a way of, of being in the world. It's a way of restfulness instead of restlessness. Sabbath is, is a way of living that comes from abiding with the Lord, abiding with Jesus, from living in the Father's loving presence all week long. And I can't wait till we get to unpack that even more in, in John 15. The writer of Hebrews, speaking about uh, Sabbath and a spirit of restfulness, even calls us to, to make every effort to enter that rest. That means that, that we're actually going to have to put in an effort to rest. We're actually going to have to work hard so that we can block off a time, an entire day even, for rest, to stop. We're going to have to be intentional to set and then to keep this rhythm in our lives. And you know what? This is, seems especially hard maybe here in the Bow Valley. We're going to have to say no to some good things so we can say yes to the best thing. Walter Brueggemann helpfully adds, people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. His point is, this practice, this rhythm, this spiritual discipline, it's going to mess with you. First, it's going to mess with the day, but then it's going to slowly take over your whole week. So, what does Jesus have to say about Sabbath? Let's look at Jesus and Sabbath. If you have a, a Bible handy, and I hope that you do, uh, look towards the end of Mark chapter 2. Mark's the second gospel in the New Testament. 
There are, there are so many stories in the gospel, so many stories where we see Jesus interacting with others that happen on the Sabbath. And so I think it's really important to pay attention whenever in the Bible there's repetition and a common theme or a common place or a common day, such as the Sabbath, we need to kind of sit up and pay attention. Near the end of Mark chapter 2 and verse 23, we start to see, uh, we see this picture of, of Jesus walking with his disciples on the Sabbath. And as they're, they're walking through a field, the guys kind of uh, pick a few heads of grain and eat them. Much like you and I might if we're on a path up in the mountains, not now, but in the summer, and we find some, some wild berries. Just have a little snack. Naturally, there are some Pharisees close by, and they took exception to this because you are supposed to stop on the Sabbath. You are not supposed to harvest on the Sabbath, and to build walls around that means you can't even pick a couple heads of grain. But Jesus, as he so often does when, when the legalists and, and the, the religious people come to him, he looks at them and says, listen, you guys have missed the entire point here. You've missed God's heart behind the Sabbath. And then in verse 27, he says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now the Pharisees, they were in that second part of the statement. They were stuck on man being made for the Sabbath. Their legalistic attitude said, we, need, we are here for this thing to keep these rules. But Jesus was calling that out. 2,000 years later, we have the opposite problem. We've neglected the practice maybe altogether. We, we take a day or maybe a weekend off work and we go to worship to church Sunday, maybe if it suits us. But this practice of Sabbath, it, it isn't new. This isn't something new. It's maybe new to us, but it's thousands and thousands of years old. Let me ask you a question coming out of that statement of Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Have you ever had something custom-made just for you? Some things, uh, we, we as parents sometimes get things made for us all the time, drawings, crafts, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, we're in an outdoorsy place here in Canmore, in Banff, in the Bow Valley. Think about, uh, you know, heat-molded, custom-fit boots or skates. Think about uh, maybe a, a bike built to your exact measurements. Think about uh, maybe orthotics that you can slip in any shoe. That just, they, they just feel like a dream, like pillows under your feet. Think of, of golf clubs that fit you and your swing just right. Another example, maybe, uh, maybe you're, you're into reading, you start to read a lot, you notice it's kind of getting hard to see a little bit, your eyesight's starting to go, you get to that, that age or stage. Think of the difference between walking into just a local pharmacy and, and you know, trying on a couple of the readers and saying, oh, these are pretty good, and walking out. Think of that versus going to an optometrist who, who, who takes pictures of your eyes, who looks at the difference between the two and, and custom fits glasses to your face or contacts to your eyes, and it's just perfect. How different are those two things? A pair of readers off the shelf, custom uh, glasses. A pair of boots off the rack or something that's been heat molded right to your exact foot. These things that were made just for you, how much better do they just fit and work and enhance your life? Look again what Jesus said. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made for us. A.J. Swoboda says this, 
The Sabbath has, has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result, our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It's not as though we don't love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. He goes on a little bit later and says, we've, we've become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. Ouch. I was uh, watching a, a talk given at a, a Canadian Church Leaders Network event uh, pre-COVID, so about a year ago now, and it was actually with John Mark Comer again, and he was talking about how at their, their church, he's from Bridgetown Church in, in Portland, how they were trying to sort of uh, reshape how they did ministry and, and focus on these spiritual practices and emphasize things like Sabbath and simplicity and, and silence and solitude, much like we are trying to incorporate and, and learn from those things here. And, and he sat down with a, with a mentor, with a, a longtime church member who was, you know, 40 years in both ministry and psychology and and and. and Comer unpacked all this vision to this guy and he just kind of shook his head. And, you know, it's, you're going to have a real hard time with that, he said. And he said, the problem is people won't want to change. People won't want to do this. He said, most people are too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually vibrant lives. Does that ap- apply to you? Does that apply to me? I, I get it. Lives can be busy, but, but how much of that busyness do we actually need? Or how much of it is just maybe misplaced desires? What I think we've missed, what, what I have missed, is that God created Sabbath for us. The one who knows everything about you, the one who, who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who knows everything about the universe created this gift of Sabbath for you and for me, and, and we need to receive it. Jesus' little one-liner here that we're kind of digging into actually ties us right back into creation itself. Flip back to Genesis 1 if you've got your Bible right at the beginning. The story of the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we walk through what it looked like for those next, that, that whole chapter. And then at the end of the six days, the universe is created and going. He's got everything happening. Look what it says in Genesis 2, chapter, or verse 2. By the seventh day, it says, God had finished the work he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all the work. And God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now listen, I I know you're busy, so you need seven days of work, but God rested. God built rest into the rhythm of the universe, into the, the DNA of creation. He built in this rhythm of work six, rest one. Studies have shown there that, that after a certain number of working hours, a productivity plummets. Do you want to guess what that number is? It's about 50, which is about six working days, isn't it? Another study showed that there was actually very little or even no difference in productivity between a worker that put in 70 hours a week and a worker that put in 55 hours a week. Could it be, the uh, question is, uh, could it be that, that Sabbath is actually wired into us? Six on, one off. 
H.H. H. Farmer says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you're going to get splinters. But what, is it, what does it mean that God rested? Let's be really clear that it doesn't mean that God was tired from all the work he had done, nor he, was, he wasn't just burned out and needed some time off. See, Sabbath or Shabbat means to stop, but it also can be translated as to delight. And it's here in this dual meaning of stopping and delighting that we find the sweet spot of, of stopping and also delighting in God's world. And honestly, this is where I've missed the point over the years. In some seasons more than other, I've been able to take a, you know, a Sabbath as a, a day off but I haven't always focused on that delighting piece. I've maybe just closed my laptop and, and checked my email less, avoided chores because I got a rest. This past fall, I was at a pastor's gathering, and one of the afternoons, we looked at spiritual disciplines and Sabbath specifically. And one of the leaders in a conversation, kind of in between sessions, we were, we were chatting about, you know, what does this look like? He said, hey, can you Sabbath while mountain biking? And I'd been processing this idea of Sabbath as rest and, and delight and, and, and being with the Lord. And so I said, you know what, I, I'm not sure that I can mountain biking because when I'm kind of chasing guys around the trails out here, I'm, I'm more holding on for dear life and there's not a lot of delighting in the Lord. There's a lot of prayer in those moments, but not necessarily a lot of delighting in the Lord. But if I look back on a ride, then I can find myself in a, a place of worship, thanking God for the beautiful landscape, for, for those who have put in the work so that we can ride, for, for the ability itself to ride and the joy of just being in it. That said, I said to him, listen, if, if there is something I'm more, a little more comfortable or competent in, then it's different. Like a, maybe a, a bluebird ski day with the family. I can absolutely delight in the Lord and offer up praise and worship if I'm going down the blue and green groomers watching my family and the kids learning and, and growing in their ability to ski and just watching them. It, it just, delight comes from my soul. And so when we think about Sabbath, let me ask this question to help you shape this in your own practice. This is kind of your homework, your assignment for the week. I know on, in our church online page, John's going to drop it in the comments for you. So here's, here's what to think about. What could I do for a 24-hour period that would fill my soul with a deep joy? What could I do for a 24-hour period that would, that would make me spontaneously erupt with wonder and awe and gratitude and praise? Maybe you know that right away. You say, I, I got to spend more time here. This, this would do it. Maybe you need to carve out some time, do some, some soul work, and think about what it might look like. What's on that list of things that spark wonder, awe, gratitude, and praise? Dan Allender in his book on Sabbath adds this. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. He says, the Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it's the best day of the week. It's the day that we anticipate on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. It's the, the day that we remember on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast and play and dance and sing and pray and laugh and tell stories and read and paint and walk and watch creation in all its fullness. 
He says, few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it and make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone in a week. Again, this whole idea is rooted in God. When, when he finished with creation, he rested and he delighted in the world. Look what else it says he did. It says that he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Interesting. There, there's two things there I think we need to unpack a bit. First, God blessed the day. Have you ever thought about what that looks like? How, God, what does it mean to bless a day? Well, if we read the, the creation story, if we read Genesis 1 up to this point, uh, we see that there were three things blessed by God. First, the animal kingdom. God created them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Okay? The second thing was humanity. We were given the same thing. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay? And the third thing, the Sabbath. Blessed in the same way. Interesting, right? Comer notes that, that this means perhaps that the Sabbath has that same capacity to procreate, that is to, to fill the world with more life. He notes a survey done by a doctor who cited uh, some of the happiest people on earth. And near the top of the list was a group called the Seventh-day Adventists. This is a group of people who are, who are religious about observing the Sabbath. And they tended, the survey found, to live 10 years longer than the average American. So Comer, Comer says, you know, so I did a little bit of math. If I Sabbath every seven days, it adds up to about 10 years over a lifetime. Fascinating, right? The Sabbath is blessed by God. God blessed the Sabbath. The second thing, he, he also called it holy. So just like we want to think, what does it mean that, that, that God blessed a day? What does it mean that God called a day holy? In the, in the ancient Near East where this was, was written and the, the culture that was there, and, and even today, when we think about holy places, when we think about the gods, the gods are found in places, then and now, not in a time. If you wanted to meet with the God in the ancient Near East, you went to a, a temple or to a holy mountain or to some sacred shrine. But this God, the creator God, the creator of the universe is found in a day. He made a day holy. We don't need to go on a pilgrimage to a place to experience God. We need to stop and observe a day and rest and encounter and delight in him. So here's where we're at so far. There's, there's a day that's blessed and holy, that God blessed and made it holy. And there's a rhythm in creation uh, shown for us by God in Genesis chapter 1 of 6 and 1. And when we fit into this, we actually experience health and life. How many of us, though, regularly do this? I struggle with it. John Mark Comer then brings a heat and he writes, Maybe this is why God eventually had to command the Sabbath, not much later. He says, doesn't it strike you as odd? It's like commanding ice cream or live music or beach days. You think we'd all be chomping at the bit to practice Sabbath. But he says, apparently there's something in the human condition, condition that makes us want to hurry our way through life as fast as we possibly can, to rebel against the limitations of time itself. And due to our immaturity, dysfunction, and addiction, God has to command his people to do something deeply life-giving. Rest. 
There are plenty of places in Scripture where we are commanded to rest, but we're just going to look at one this morning. Exodus chapter 20. We'll dig in a little bit to verses 8 through 11. Here we, we find ourselves in the Ten Commandments. If you know the story that uh, ex, uh, the Moses has led the people in an exodus, led them out of, of Egypt. They're about to enter the promised land, and God says, here's how you live. I've done all this for you. Here's how you are to live. And the first four commandments are all about how we relate to God. Then we get to number five, which starts in verse eight, where God says, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. This one commandment, talking about Sabbath, actually takes up 30% of the text of God explaining and giving the Ten Commandments. And look how it starts. It's the only one that starts this way. Remember the Sabbath. It's so easy for us, and apparently it has always been easy to get sucked into a pace of life that's just faster and faster and faster. We need to stop and remember. It's so easy for us to forget that God is the creator and and I'm the creation. To forget that he set the rhythms that I need to, to flourish. It's so easy to forget this gift. Remember, you need this. You need to stop and delight and worship. Continues in verse 9. Six days you'll labor and do your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That, that phrase, a Sabbath to the Lord, can also mean it's, it's a day set apart for the Lord or, or dedicated to the Lord. So the Sabbath is a, is a day for rest and worship. Here's the other thing that gets me when we're talking about Sabbath. Sabbath isn't the same as a day off. I find myself saying, listen, I, I'm not in the office, so it's, I'm off. I, I uh, enjoy cutting the lawn or, or shoveling the sidewalk or whatever, and it hasn't been done in a while anyway, so it's kind of restful. Now, here's the thing. Sabbath isn't running errands. It's not paying bills. It's not running to the store and picking up a few groceries. It's not washing the car. It's not catching up on the stuff from the other six days of the week. On the Sabbath, all we do is we rest and we worship. And so as we try to process this, and I, I can, my own wheels are spinning, so I anticipate yours are too of, man, what do we do with this? How do we, how do we define what fits into this? Well, Comer recommends running every activity through a simple grid. Is this rest and worship? And I would add, really? Because sometimes we can just trick ourselves. Oh, yeah, this is great rest here. And if the answer to that is yes, then it gets, it's, it's good. If the answer is no, put it on the schedule for the other six days. And you can see how this is going to take work, how this is going to take discipline. But the good news is as well that uh, fitting things into that, is this rest and worship? Rest and worship can be really broad categories. Going back to my conversation at that pastor's gathering, can can skiing be rest and worship? At a kid's pace with them, maybe. I I just joked about cutting the lawn, but but can walking uh, kind of mindless laps around the yard uh, with maybe instead an intentional focus on on listening for God's voice or having worship music in my ears or, or praying to God, can that be rest and worship? Maybe. And listen, this is gonna look really different for everyone. Sabbath with a baby in the house looks a lot different than with young kids or older kids or as empty nesters. The how isn't as important as just doing it. 
Is this rest and worship? The last thing, whenever we hear, often when we hear worship, we think of a church service. So maybe you're thinking, okay, so now you want me to, to, to worship for 24 hours. How many sermons do I have to listen to? How long do I have to pray as a part of that? How many songs do I sing? That's all good stuff. But we need to think of, of both rest and of worship in a broader sense. Worship is anything that turns your heart towards grateful recognition of God's reality and God's goodness. Anything that turns your heart towards the Father and gives him glory. Here are some ways that I know God loves me that maybe aren't traditional worship, let's say. Seeing the sunrise. The great thing about winter is that sunrise is at like 8.30 these days. So it's a lot easier to catch a sunrise. Uh, listening to the birds sing. Remember, Jesus said, uh, you know, God cares about the sparrows and, and he knows when any one of them falls. So how much more does God love you? So hearing the birds can, can remind me, man, God loves me more than them. And they look pretty good right now. Things that can turn my heart towards God, things that can stir up worship. Spending time with people I love. Sipping a hot coffee, uh, in, enjoying a great meal, even preparing that great meal. Perhaps leave the dishes to after Sabbath is over. Just being outside and enjoying God's gift of creation. I'm sure you can add more things to that list. God concludes this command with verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Of the, the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that God gave a reason behind it. He didn't say, don't murder, and here's why you shouldn't murder. But this one, he says, remember the Sabbath. And then he ties it back to the Genesis story, calling us into the rhythm that he stitched into the universe. Now listen, I, I know that beginning and, and working through this practice and, and maybe taking it deeper is going to be a lot of work and it's going to be hard for many of us. Maybe it's going to take some work to get to the place where we can have a whole day, but start. Let's start with an evening maybe. Start with an afternoon and an evening and then expand to a few more hours and hours and then get to the practice of a whole day. Sit down with your family to make a plan. We are going to have to do that. Again, Sabbath isn't something you add to the schedule to just squish seven days of work into six so that now you can be forced into this time. The whole time that you're taking this day off, you're thinking about all the stuff you should be doing because now it's got to be done on Monday. But this is about living with a spirit of rest and worship. Remember again, Walter Brueggemann said, people who, who keep the Sabbath live every other day differently as well. Again, we, we don't want to get legalistic here. We don't want to get religious here. But we want to lean into what Jesus has called us to. The Sabbath was made for us. As we're about to turn to communion, to, to thank Jesus for all that he's done for us, let me leave you again with this call that we started with. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, if, if you're anxious, if you're stressed, if you're hurried, if you're running at a pace that you know you can't go on forever, come to me. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
He says, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for the commandment to remember the Sabbath. For, forgive me and forgive us when we've kind of thought maybe that was something for someone else. Help us to, to understand what you've called us to. Help us to, to learn from, a, a, as Peterson's, your, your, your unforced rhythms of grace, Jesus. We want to walk with you. We want not just one day, but every day to be shaped by you as we follow you. As we come to communion, Jesus, we thank you for the life that you live that, that modeled for us what it means to, to be truly human. That you showed us how to rightly relate to, to God and to others and to creation itself. And you showed us the, the disciplines and the rhythms that lead to a, fu- a full life. And we thank you that you went to the cross, that you took our sin, our rebellion, all the things that, that we've done when we've gone our own way and thought we know better than the creator of the universe put them on your back and you, you paid the price for those with your life. And then three days later, you, you conquered our greatest enemy, the greatest thing that creates restlessness in us, death itself. And you're raised again and now you're sitting at the right hand of God, praying for us, interceding for us, calling us to something more than ourselves. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, take communion together, we want to remember Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us. As Paul teaches us and instructs us on, on how to do communion together, he says this, I receive from the Lord what I deliver to you. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had taken bread and given thanks, he, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so when we take this, this cup and this bread together, and I'll, I'll pray for it, we'll take it together, and Bev and team will lead us in a song as we consider it. What we're saying is we're saying, Jesus, I need your rest. I need you. We, we're proclaiming uh, our apprenticeship, our allegiance to Jesus. So let me, let me pray for the bread and the cup, and then we'll head into a song. Jesus, thank you again for your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. Thank you for all that you did when you came. I pray that, uh, that as we consider what is rest and worship as we consider the Sabbath, that you would, in this moment, as we, as we submit to you through taking communion, that you would reveal things in our hearts that, that are maybe getting in the way. Show us in our hearts where we're hurrying uh, so that we can meet desires that need to be met by you. Show us those areas in our lives that are actually taking us away from you instead of drawing us to you. And again, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.